0: Welcome to Catholic Radio Indies Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the Internet. Next summer, we will share the blessings of two weddings in our family, both within a single month. My oldest son and my daughter have both found strong Catholic mates, and I'm grateful to God for that. But what happens when a couple planning a marriage and a life together don't share one faith. In our first offering on today's sampler, Father Rob, Alyssa, and Augie from the Catholic Influencers Podcast discuss whether a Catholic can marry a non-Catholic.
1: This is an OSV Podcasts production. To learn more about OSV Podcasts Network, visit osvpodcasts.com.
2: FRG Ministry presents the Catholic Influences podcast. Join me Alyssa Aegis and my co-hosts,
3: Father Rob Gallia
2: and Justine Hughes, as we break open the upcoming Sunday mass readings and explore relevant topics and life issues from a Catholic perspective. For a shorter and more reflective explanation of the Sunday Gospels, be sure to check out our sister podcast, Catholic Influences Father Rob Gallia Homilies.
3: Welcome to the Catholic Influencers Podcast. We are excited and settling back after suffering from <laughs> severe jet lag. How jet lagged are you?
2: Look, I think it's still lingering. Yes. Eh? Um, it's been a couple of nights where I've woken up in the middle of the night. Um, I don't know whether it's that or my husband snoring, but one of the two. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, How about you? Well, I, I have my dog that snores. <laughs> but that's not what's keeping me up. We're just, uh, we're just back from Europe. We got to... Uh, spend some time with the holy father we got to spend some time with two million young people from across the world and how awesome is this um in the last episode you heard a little bit about what we have been through and what we we have done but we got to sing in front of a massive crowd how big was that look
2: the biggest crowd we sang in front of was 700,000 right in front of us, plus an international um, television audience. Yes. It was huge.
3: So you look it up on, on uh, Shalom World or on Google, um, Father Rob Gallia and band at, uh, at Stations of the Cross. Awesome. Um, you can see us perform there. But um, we're blessed also to be here in the studio, to be able to talk to you, to reflect a little bit, how we highlight. Tell me, what was your favorite part of all of World Youth Day, you think?
2: Hmm. I think I have two. And I think I mentioned it in last week's podcast. Um, obviously, performing to the large crowd of people, that was really beautiful. And even though there were so many people, I did—I really did feel like it was a moment of prayer where um, us as a band were able to um, play music directly to our audience of one. Like, I really felt that. Mm. Um, and then I think my second highlight, and no, not in any particular order, was probably our um, adoration event that we did, yeah, which yeah. was...
3: Really nice. With the, how, how amazing. And it is those silent moments that are more profound than, than any extravagant moment, extraordinary moment. You see great crowds. That, like, I remember the first time I sang in front of a big crowd, like a million people, and it was just overwhelming. It was amazing. But at the end, you know, like the, that moment where we got to spend time before Jesus, the Blessed Sacrament, and you saw this throughout all of World Youth Day, young people flocking to the open churches wanting to spend time with Jesus in silence and stillness. That's what it's all about.
2: Exactly. And it wasn't even like um, a super comfortable setting. I remember dripping with sweat that entire um, adoration time because it was just so hot in this little small church with so many people. But... It didn't matter like being in the presence of jesus was enough and even as you were speaking i'm just thinking we arrived a little earlier for our sound check and we still had a little moment where we could just pray in the empty church and even that was a highlight that that was really nice with the
3: relics of carlo acutis Mm. if you don't know anything about carlo acutis he was a young saint uh, saintly man uh, who's what? 14 years old how old was he even when he died
2: yeah, maybe fifteen or sixteen. Yes,
3: and he, um, his mom is still alive. He's, like he died not long ago, and he's he's now beatified as well to be to be canonized soon. Very but, cool. Yeah, very cool. So why don't we pray? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to draw us into His presence to give us His strength. We love Jesus, but we need to love Him more, right? And the the greatest way we can love Jesus sometimes is just to sit in His presence to allow Him to, to love us. So we'll pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can always, always approach you. There's no formalities, there's no difficulties, just stopping and allowing you to love us. In our peace, and also in our lack of peace. In our holiness, but also in our sinfulness. We come to you as we are, Lord, wanting to become as you are. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Come and fill our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to see you, to hear you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's listen to the gospel um, read to us by Alyssa.
2: So, this week we are approaching the 28th Sunday in ordinary time, and the Gospel reading is Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen.
3: Beautiful scripture. and This is one of the reasons, the theme, why Justine is not here today.
2: Hey, <laughs> Justine is still on her honeymoon with her husband, Leighton, and mm. um, But she'll be back very shortly and it's going to be um, an amazing time.
3: So the last two episodes, we haven't had Justine on the episode, but she's well and truly still part of this team. Yes. We just uh, continue to pray for her and, and her husband as they begin this new married life as well. So this is the theme that we have, we're talking about today. It's a, a marriage. So let's talk a little bit, because when we think about marriages today, you're sent out an invitation, right? And, and then you're invited, you're um, RSVP, you know the time, you know the date, you know everything that's going to happen, you know um, th- where the mass is going to be or the celebration is going to be and then the reception is going to be. Everything's marked out, everything. But how is it different? How is it different now than it is in in the time of Jesus?
2: Yeah, well, so in biblical times, um, a marriage celebration was a big deal. Like It was an opportunity for family and friends and entire villages, basically, to come together and celebrate for several days of feasting. Mm-hmm. Um, But invitations like we received today are kind of, you get the one invitation and you RSVP. Invitations in biblical times were sent out in two stages. So the first one was to request the attendance of the guests in advance, kind of say, hey, we're preparing for this,
3: get ready. And because they had to travel a long ways, they had to find accommodation, they had to find, so that uh, get their affairs in order because they had to leave the fields for for weeks to come to a wedding. Yes, Yes. well,
2: similar to to things today as well. I mean, I guess you could... Th- talk about it as a save the date and then the second invitation, we yeah. could have that today. Um, but in biblical times, the second invitation was to gather the people together when the festivities were about to begin.
4: Mm. And so
2: we see that in this scripture. We see that the king, the king sends the messengers to summon the guests and then later a second notice when the banquet is ready.
3: Yes, yeah, so I uh, sort of hang around here, we'll call you in when we're ready. So when it was a, a king or a, a prince or, or rich people basically preparing for a wedding, it was they could prepare things quickly. But when it was a poorer family, sometimes it would take a very long time, days and possibly even weeks until the guests would come in. So they'd be hanging around there at friends' houses, camping out, waiting for this wedding to begin. And it just like seemingly never happens. When is this gonna happen? And so some, some people would think, hey, I can't hang out anymore. I'm sorry, I thought it was gonna be yesterday. I thought it was gonna be the day before. Um, I have things to do, um, people to meet, business deals to deal with. And people would leave, they would leave. They'd say, hey, I, I can't wait around any longer. And so um, this was the normal custom Things People would hang out, people would stay. And it seems like this meal, even though he was a king, was taking quite a while to prepare for this, this wedding. And so people would come and some walked away.
2: Hmm. But I think there's some really great imagery. If we can read into this a little bit more, um, this invitation to this wedding feast is kind of um, there to reflect the imagery of the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. So um, if we think of um, our salvation history, God, you know, sent prophets um, to prepare for the Messiah. And we can see this as, like I guess, the first invitation. Um, and then later on, when Jesus was coming, Jesus was there, um, the apostles were there, were there yes. kind of as that second invitation. Yes. But there's another way we can interpret this as well.
3: I suppose, yes, because you can look at it as stage two being com- becoming stage one. You know, the first coming of Christ, this is the first invitation, that Jesus comes and he's invited us to the banquet, he's invited us to the table, he's invited us to the Eucharist, he's invited us to become like his son, the Father has invited us to be like his son, Jesus. But then there's the second invitation, and that is the second coming of Christ. And we here are waiting to enter into the the kingdom of heaven. And so we're here waiting. So God is saying, hey, stay faithful, hang around, make sure you you stay holy, um, because the doors are going to open soon. So this was a sort of a universal meeting, but there's also a universal meaning. But there was also a local meaning, and that was for um, maybe to talk to the Jews of the time, the local meaning, saying that, hey, the Jews were invited to to carry the kingdom of God. They were invited to to be the people of God, but they lost it because they didn't welcome the invitation, the Messiah, as you said. And, uh, and so what happened was God, as he says in the scripture, I'll end up burning down the cities like it's like, what the heck? <laughs> you sort of you don't come, so you burn down the mm-hmm. city. Like, that's a bit uh, overkill, right? But he would, I think they were referring to the burning of the temple in AD 70. So it was just saying, hey, because you were not faithful, because you did not welcome the Messiah, the, there was the falling of the, the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70, and that w- uh, also brought about the, the burning of the city.
2: Yeah, and that second lot of guests, I think, w- that we read about in this parable, like you said, it could be um, the first invitation was to the Jews and, and they kind of declined the invitation. So then the invitation was open to all, open to the Gentiles. But another way we could look at this, I feel like there's just so many ways we could look at this. Um, it could also be an allusion to um, the religious leaders at the, of the time, Um they kind of declined and rejected the Messiah. So then Jesus went to the outcasts of the soci- of society, right. like the tax collectors and prostitutes. Um, although I think the Gentile ones probably
3: mm-hmm. a little more suited. Yeah. So everyone, everyone's invited. Everyone's um, welcome in. And they, I think this is something that um, during World Youth Day, the I think it was. During the vigil, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, either the vigil or the stations, or the. I think was one of them. Anyway, um, the Pope talked a lot about that the doors of the church are open, they're always open. And even um, Pope John Paul II, la porta, he's, he's saying, open, slam open the mm. doors of heaven. Of your heart, he was saying, but it's also the opening of of the, the doors of the church, that the church are always open. But this is maybe brings us to the second part of this parable. You know, when he talks about the garment and he talks about those who um, come in with the wrong vestments, with the wrong garments, what he's saying is the door is open to sinners. Absolutely the door is open to sinners, but here's the thing and this is a delicate thing and a controversial thing and but it's a real thing it's Mm. it's a real thing it's actually what the bible is saying it's saying the doors are open to sinners but not open to those who stay sinners yes so god invites you in but it's not the duty of the people in the pews to make you feel uncomfortable and tell you that you're not welcome because only god knows our hearts Mm. but if we stay in the presence of god if we are at a church that seek god and usher in the presence of God. Those who are staying sinners just will not be able to, to stay there. They won't because, you see, you cannot mix holiness with, with sinfulness. You cannot mix water with oil. There's just going to be a clash of tension that's going to draw you either into the presence of God or away from the presence of God. So our churches should not be a social club where we welcome sinfulness and sinners to the point that they stay sinners. But come to the point, hey, Jesus loves you so much, but he loves you too much to leave hmm. you as you are. He wants to, to, he wants to make you as he is.
2: Yeah, I cannot but think of the scripture where Jesus welcomes a sinner and then he says, you are forgiven, go and sin no more.
3: That's right. Um, But then he gives us the strength not to sin no more. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the sacraments. He gives us the the life of the church as well. That should show mercy, because even if you choose to sin no more, guess what? You're still going to sin. You're Mm. still going to mess up. It's like, let the guiltless one throw throw the first stone, Mm. you know? We're all sinners.
2: Um, So I think that's what this wedding garment in this parable is representing, Um, this whole notion of... um, righteousness comes with repentance. And once we have repented, we have that clean wedding garment.
3: Yes. And think of the garment as your soul. God has given you your soul at your conception, at your birth, and, and He's given you this beautiful, white, pure, sinless, beautiful soul. But as we go through the age of reason, our, our soul gets dirty because of our sinfulness. Now, our responsibility our responsibility, is to return that soul, to return that garment to God, the Father, strong and clean. How? Not by never sinning, but simply knowing the mercy of God, knowing the blood of Christ, invoking the blood of Christ over our lives, asking for mercy, asking forgiveness, going to the sacrament of reconciliation and turning away from sin. Mm. That is how we return our soul clean to the Lord.
2: Yeah. And I think this parable is a really good um, invitation for us today in this day and age to really reflect on which wedding guest are we, yes. I think, in this parable. So as we read, all were invited to the the wedding feast. All are invited into the kingdom, as we have discussed. Um, but some of the people in this parable they decline that invitation. They they had heard about Jesus. They heard about the wedding feast, but they went back to their business. They went back to their farm, and we can see this in our society today. People hear about Jesus and they just go about their daily lives as if they hadn't heard anything. Um,
3: and what about even COVID? You know, this is something more recent. Well, a lot of churches are filled, but a lot have emptied. You know, we've become lazy. We've gone back to our business and mm. we haven't returned to the church. This is part of this as well. We need to return back to the wedding feast.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Yes, we can accept Jesus' invitation, say yes to that, recognize our need for salvation, and then really reflect on whether we're truly repenting um, and clothing ourselves in that in that wedding garment. So maybe you have a bit of a reflection this week on where you kind of sit in that on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Have you accepted the invitation fully, or are we kind of half in?
3: Yes, uh, and just return, come back to the arms of the Father. Amen.
1: This production would not be possible without the support of our FRG ministry partners and donors. Your ongoing support ensures that our online masses, online courses, podcasts, TV programs, school youth and parish outreaches continue to reach millions of people across the world please prayerfully consider giving a one-off donation or becoming an ongoing ministry partner. Then join us in our mission to share the love of Jesus and his message of hope to the ends of the earth. Find out more at frgministry.com slash donate.
3: Okay, curly question, and this is one I'm going to introduce But I'm going to take give up my seat to as someone Who can possibly answer it differently than, than I could Here's the question Can a Catholic marry a non-Catholic? Now, when I say this, many of you listeners here are married to non-Catholics So maybe you're non-Catholic and you're married to a Catholic but How does this fit in? Is this ideal? What does, how does the Church see this? Um, I'm, I'm going to just give my five cents, ten cents worth, and then I'm going to hand over to, to, to Augie. Now, Augie is part of our FRG ministry team. He's married. Alyssa's married. And they probably can give you an insight that, that I cannot. But I just want to say this. I just want to bring um, a, a scripture verses and that God wants us to be equally yoked what does that mean that he wants us to seek him first and foremost to love him above all things now the thing is when you're married to someone who is not equally yoked to you it's not that you're not going to reach your destination it's not that you're not going to fulfill your purpose but it's going to be a heck of a lot more difficult to get there and a a lot more painful And uh, because at the end of the day, if you love Jesus, Jesus is the center of your life. You want to share your life. You want to share this most important thing with the one you love. So I'm going to hand over to Alyssa as I change seats here. And we hand over um, to Augie, who's going to just talk a little bit. Maybe they'll have a little bit of a discussion of what it means to be married to uh, someone who follows the faith and someone who doesn't.
2: Yeah, so um, while we change over these microphones, I thought it might be good to chat about um, kind of what the technicalities of this situation are. So to answer this question, yes, it is possible for a Catholic to marry a non-Catholic, but it does come with certain conditions and these conditions may vary from case to case and even from diocese to, to diocese. So basically, number one, if you are choosing to marry a non-Catholic, you do need permission from the church Um this is usually granted by a local bishop or a competent authority in the diocese. Um, and this just ensures that the Catholic in the marriage understands the implications and responsibilities that come with this. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, you kind of do need permission as well from the non-Catholic parties church. Um, if it's another Christian denomination, you might need permission there. You might need to check that. Um, and this just ensures that any potential conflicts or differences um, are kind of agreed upon. Um, especially in relation to the upbringing of future children, are agreed upon and addressed before the marriage happens. Um, And the other thing, too, on on our side of things, the Catholic side of things, before granting permission for someone to marry someone um, of a a different faith, the church will require the assurance from those involved that um, they will continue to practice their faith and any future children that they have will be raised, um, not only baptized, but also educated um, in the Catholic faith. Augie, how are you doing?
1: Hey, hello. I'm doing very well, Alyssa, and I'm very happy to be uh, here on camera in the Catholic Influencers Podcast for the first time. Thanks for having me.
2: Pleasure. It's so great to have you. Um, maybe you can give us a bit of a background. Um, you're married, right?
1: Yes. So I, um, I've i been married since 2018. Um, and uh, yeah, my wife, we, we met doing um, a year of mission work. So for Youth Mission Team Australia, which if anyone's familiar with Net Team Australia, pretty much the same thing. And um So we met in that Catholic environment, and I think having that firm foundation of, like, these are the the guidelines and the morals that we're aiming for, um, I think was really beneficial and comforting going forward. Um, But, you know, I mean, there's still a, a daily maintaining of it as well. And, you know, I'm interested about, you know, your experience and how it differs, and I'm sure, like, there's beauty and there's struggle in both. You know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So some of the listeners might know this, but I've been married for almost seven years now. And my husband, Daniel, is baptized Catholic, but doesn't um, really practice his faith. He'd probably consider himself more an agnostic, I think, is the stage we're at at the moment, um, which is difficult. Um, mm. But there's also beauty in that. And I think I'll speak to some practicalities because I'm sure there's plenty of listener, um, listeners here. Well, I know there are many people who are listening to this podcast who... Perhaps are in a similar situation where they are married um, to someone who doesn't share their faith, and I guess sometimes the general consensus that we see um, over social media and over blogs and things that if your spouse is not Catholic, well, that's just really bad. And yeah. um, but I think there can be beauty in that. And, um, and
1: there was, we have a, a team member who was explaining how like, um, they're dating somebody who's who's not um, Catholic, but he he said something. I'm not, you know, it's not my story to share, but he was like. I'm actually more supported in my Catholic faith and my walk with Jesus with this person, and so um, you know, I mean, it's it's a different walk for everybody, you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I think someone, someone, something, someone once said to me that's really resonated to me. Um, if not you, then who? Mm-hmm. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, our our goal um, as Married people is to get our spouse to heaven. And mm. I th- I'm a very mm. strong believer that just because your spouse isn't, may not necessarily be practicing the faith, mm. um, maybe not at all, but maybe not even practicing the faith to the level that you're practicing the faith, mm. um, I think you still can achieve that goal. And it just might look a little bit different. Um, It doesn't mean you don't pray for their conversion, um, Mm. but um, it just might look a little bit different. And it is very possible to get each other to heaven. I can definitely see that in in my marriage, 100%.
1: Yeah. And I would say, like, when I was thinking of, like, what's the hardship? Because, like, obviously, there's that firm foundation. There's that, you know, okay, we're both trying to get to heaven. I'm trying to get you there. You're trying to get me there. But I feel like there's a danger of complacency. And especially, um, you know, I, I was born cradle Catholic. Like, it's just, I've had in my own life I've had to make my faith my own decision Mm. Um, and and I think it's in you know Emily uh, my my partner you know she's the same she had to make it her own Um, but also yeah you just don't want to go into maintenance mode of just like well we're both Catholic and so we're going to heaven and we ticked the box you know I think it's still like something that you have to um, you know keep working at um, figuring out how does that look in a day-to-day basis um, there's a business term that I really like uh, that's, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think that's the same with spiritual life. And it's the same with like, you know, walking mm. with my with my wife. Like, what are we doing to continue to grow? You know, are we praying a rosary once a week together? Are we, you know, um, talking about scripture a little bit? Like, are, are we tuning in? But I, I found like there'll be times where, you know, especially like, um, you know, the, the day-to-day can get really hard and uh especially you know, we have kids and so the, the kids can get really you know hectic and i can sometimes be on a spiritual mountain and just be like you know babe god i'm so like no i just wish i could like draw you into how close you know how amazing this is and she's just so tired and she's just like i need jesus to meet me like where i am you know like i'm happy that you can go and have this experience and so like i think it's just like maintaining that and just truly loving your, your spouse where they're at I think is the most Christian thing you can do, you know, instead of trying to, you know, bring them along, it's just like, love them and see like, what do they need right now?
2: Amen. And I I was thinking of two things as you were saying that. So number one, I love the whole thing of loving your spouse where they're at. Mm. Um, And for maybe someone who is in a a mixed marriage or someone who is um, in a relationship with someone who may not be practicing the faith or someone who maybe doesn't necessarily know Jesus, I think, Loving them and you loving them as Jesus loves them is probably the best way mm. to go about it rather than shoving theology down their throat. Um, and it does require a lot of patience and it's really hard. I totally understand. Um, but I think that's definitely the best approach. And the second thing you were saying is um, communication, I think, is the whole theme that really spoke out with me. You know, you were speaking with your wife about what we are what are we going to do to grow in holiness together mm. Um even if you're in that mixed marriage, communicate what's important to you. Um, if you're not married, maybe perhaps you're discerning marriage and you're discerning whether to marry someone who may not share your faith, discern how you're going to be raising your kids, um, what's, what are your Sundays going to look like? You know, If you're a practicing Catholic, obviously Sunday Mass is, is a very important part of your um, weekend routine. If you don't s- communicate that to your spouse, and then they're not really going to understand Um and then that might just cause issues in the long run. So communicate, um, even if you want to get involved in things in your local parish, like communicate. This is important to me. And um, yeah, I think communication is the key to any great marriage, whether religious or not.
1: Yeah. And I mean, um, it's always going to be a struggle if like, you know, if Jesus is your number one priority and if the other, if that's not the number one priority for someone else, that's kind of, you know, what Father Rob was talking about how we you know, the, the yoke, you know, could be a, a bit more. Burdensome, but um, you know, just just having that in mind and and just figuring out, yeah, loving you know the the person where they're at, and just f- figuring out where you are, and just making sure that you know Jesus is is the sinner, if at all possible, um, because sometimes you know if Jesus is not the sinner, something else might be, and that can just be causing um, you know unnecessary strife.
2: Mm, absolutely, yeah. um, I think we might begin to wrap this episode up. Do you have any um, closing remarks about this topic?
1: No, um, I think I, I think I, I don't. I'm very happy to be here and talk about marriage and talk about Jesus. I love it. Nice to meet you. And that's all.
2: <laughs> well, I was just going to say to close this out, um, please know that we are praying for you, um, all of you who are in marriage with wh- whatever religion um, or faith they might, your spouse might practice. We are praying for you that you get your spouse to heaven. And we just ask that you would pray for Augie and myself as well and and our wife and husband. Yes. Amen. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Catholic Influencers podcast. Um, we can't wait to be with you guys again next week. Justine will be back. Mrs. Hughes, I can't wait. Um, Father Rob will be back. We'll be opening scripture. We'll be doing what we do. Another curly question. It's going to be an awesome episode. In the meantime, check us out on social media. All of those links can be found at our website, If um, Jet lag Brain is going to be gone by next week I promise you and we can't wait to see you guys then God bless
1: This has been a production of OSV Podcasts To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com
0: You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indie and we'll be back with more right after this short break
4: The first radio station signed on back in the 1930s. And wow, people could get news without having to wait for the next day's newspaper and hear great entertainment right in their living rooms. Uh, But then in the late 40s, television came along. And since it could add visual content, well, that would probably kill off radio. But it didn't. In the 70s, satellite radio, 8-track tapes and cassettes, and the Walkman came along. Surely one of these would kill off radio. But they didn't. Now there's streaming on computers, podcasts, Alexa, and smartphones that put the world at your fingertips. And you know what? Radio is still here. In fact, a recent survey of people aged 18 and up showed that on a monthly basis, radio reached more people than television, including time-shifted TV. And for audio programming, more people than smartphones, PC, Alexa, or tablets. When you support Catholic Radio Indy, you're supporting a powerful tool that has the potential to reach over 1 million people every day with the message of salvation. If you're one of our donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, today would be a good day to do that. Just go to catholicradioindy.org and click on the donate button. That's catholicradioindy.org and thank you for your support.
3: If it wasn't for you all, I I don't know what I would
4: do. Catholic Radio Indy. What an absolute
3: blessing you are.
4: Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today?
2: Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow.
4: Has Alexa
0: become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy.
4: Catholic Radio Indy. Like coming up for air. Like a time of rest after a big race. Like a good meal after a long day. Jesus, what you need, just when you need Him. Catholic Radio Indy.
0: In the coming year, Catholics are being asked to participate in a Eucharistic revival, culminating with over 80,000 Catholics coming together in downtown Indianapolis July 17th through the 21st. In our next offering on the sampler, Father Josh Johnson, host of the Ascension Press podcast Ask Father Josh, offers several points to ponder regarding the Eucharist and my imperfection.
5: What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Uh, Here's the show goes. You hit me up with your questions about uh, relationships, about our faith, about apologetics, about discipleship, catechesis, love, justice, and mercy. The list goes on and on and on. I will sit with your questions. I will pray with them. I will study. And hopefully I'll respond in such a way that is helpful for you to grow as a disciple, of the lord jesus christ if you're first time listening to him if you own questions comments and critiques at slash ask father josh you can also rate us and review us on itunes spotify google play and other podcast formats and you can share us on your social media pages if the show is good for you it might be good for other people as well again this is our new season of ask father josh And uh, it's a different season. Uh, Throughout the season, you'll have some shows with just me, other shows with me and a friend. And that way you get different perspectives on the same questions. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be exciting. So just stay tuned throughout the season to meet my friends and to hear what we have to say about our Catholic faith. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the Eucharist. So I was able to compile a bunch of questions together that were about the Eucharist. And put them into a concise question that I think will answer a lot of your questions that you sent me over the years. Uh, sometimes it takes me, look, don't look, don't feel bad if you sent a question in two years ago and I'm just getting into it today. Because if you see myself, and this a people be calling me, I'm like, Josh, why don't you ever text me back or email me back? Right now I have 13,554 unread emails. I have 22 unlistened to voicemails and 107 unread text messages. So it, it is not you. It's me. It takes time, you know. Like so, I I get them. It's kind of like praying, you know. Like like the the Lord gets our prayers, but but He be taking His time to 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 answer. (laughs) I did not just compare myself to the Lord. My bad. But uh, so I'm I'm just now getting to some of your questions from a couple years ago. But it's cool because we are in this for the long run. I pray. (laughs) So today we're gonna talk about the Eucharist. But before we get to the Eucharist and how it is a personal encounter between us and Jesus, no matter where we're at, whether we are in a state of grace or in mortal sin, I want to share with you a glory story. So my my glory story is this. It's about the Eucharist. So this past year in our RC class, we brought in a number of, of new Catholics. And what was beautiful for me was hearing their stories. All three of them came from different backgrounds that came into the church um, from being Protestants. And they all had a hunger for the Eucharist. They all wanted Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And it was knowing that they couldn't receive the Eucharist because they they had not made their first confession, because they were not confirmed yet, that is what drew them to become Catholic was I want the the bread of life, I believe that is Jesus Christ, and I want him." And so because they wanted the Eucharist, because they wanted to be in that kind of a relationship with God and the Blessed Sacrament, they began to study the faith, the teachings of the church, and they fell in love with the church, they fell in love with the church's teachings, but it was all rooted in, and it all began with a longing and a hunger for the Eucharist. So and the glory story is, it's good to invite people to wait. And I, I know there are, are some there are some priests who are like, oh, we should just let anybody receive. But, but that's, first of all, you, you don't do that, right? Uh, because you need to be of one faith and one mind and one heart when you receive the body of Christ. And you need to, you need to go to confession, so you're not in sin. But but also, it's it's there's something about the wait of, uh, of, okay, during this process of waiting to receive the love of my life, the one I'm being drawn to, I get to learn more about him. And learned about what he cares about the church Uh, and so they're all super faithful now and they're uh, they're just rocking it here at the the church of sacred heart and at our school sacred heart school and makes me so happy so the eucharist is worth waiting for like (laughs) love is worth waiting for the eucharist is worth waiting for as well so just just hold on and wait and invite people to wait but that being said let's jump into today's question All right, so today's question is about the Eucharist being personal. So here's the question, Father Josh. I understand that we need to approach the Lord with reverence, but the Lord and the Eucharist provides us with a personal, intimate relationship. And we all think times can be messy, simple, blunt, confused. Do we have to wait until we have it all together before we approach the Lord? Obviously, I know we need to be free and mortal of sin before we receive the Lord but do we wait to approach him before the blessed sacrament to be perfect? Or what do we do? It's a really great question. So it reminds me of, of of this. The church that we are all a part of is, is a messy church. And And as Pope Francis has said on a number of occasions, we are not a museum for the saints. We are a a hospital for sinners. And this idea that we have to be perfect, that we have to have all our stuff together before we can approach an intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament is not founded on anything true. Because the apostles were messy. They were broken. And when Jesus approached them, they were messy. Matthew was a tax collector who had a conversion, but he was a tax collector when Jesus approached him and entered into a dialogue with him. Peter was a fisherman who had a cursing problem and an anger problem. Uh, and, And that problem didn't go away when he first encountered Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years and after three years, he was still cursing and he was still mad and he still had wrath and he customized his ear off. Like Peter was a mess for a long time, but Jesus didn't say, Peter, you can't walk with me anymore because you're such a mess. Even when Peter denied Jesus and abandoned Jesus, Jesus came back to Peter again and again and again. So Jesus wanted to be in a relationship with Peter and he wanted to draw Peter to be a saint because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we're transformed by him. It's like the sun. If you go outside, if you go to the beach, if you go fishing, you're out in the sun. The sun changes us, right? Jesus Christ changes us over time. But he, he calls us to come to him as we are. Now, I didn't say receiving the Eucharist yet. I'm not getting there. But to come to the Eucharist, adoration, to come to mass, to be with him and worship, to be near him with other people who are sinners. At the beginning of mass, what's the one prayer that we all pray around the, the world? The Confidior. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I've done and in what I've failed to do, my sins of omission and commission, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. We say, I have sinned. Everybody in church has sinned. The priest, whenever I'm uh, about to celebrate the Eucharist, I get the altar servers to wash my hands. And I, and I say a prayer, like, purify me, Lord, right? Because I, 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 my, my sins, even the priest, we're, we're all we're all sinners. The, the nuns are sinners. Pope John Paul II was a sinner. He went to confession once a week. He went to go to confession once a week. In all of our churches, we have confessionals. We have confessionals in our church because we, we're saying this is a place where sinners are supposed to come. <laughs> we come here and we have a confessional in the church. And I got that cool old school confession in my church, like with the screen. I love it. It's the best. But we have four of my church, four confessionals in my church. Why? Because clearly. At one point in my church's history at Sacred Heart of Jesus, we recognized that we needed a lot of confessionals because we had a lot of sinners. And that's where sinners get cleaned up in the confessional. So we ought to be coming to God as we are, not as we could be, would be, or should be if we got perfect. It's like people who say, I, I can't pursue a relationship with somebody until I'm come 100% virtuous. Like, no, like God purifies you over time. You're never gonna be 100% virtuous. They're never gonna be 100% virtuous. Don't have those fake expectations and ideals. You also strive for virtue. And if you are aware of you have like some serious like vices that are not allowing you to be free right now, well then yes, then you should not, right, pursue. But as long as you're striving for virtue and you're working towards holiness, if you're waiting until you're perfect, are they're perfect? Then you're going to wait until you die and go to heaven because you ain't perfect until you get to heaven. And they won't be perfect until they go through purgatory and then heaven. So we need to be open to, yeah, just coming to the Lord, like coming to the Lord as a friend. I don't understand whenever we sin against God and then I hear people say, well, I can't go to mass because I can't receive communion. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, so you sin against God and blessed be God, you're not receiving communion in a state of serious sin, moral sin, but why are you now giving God the cold shoulder? Why why are you making him suffer? He wants us to come to mass and we're saying, I'm not coming to mass because I've hurt you. Like, Like, don't take it out on Jesus. Like we come to him, come to him, that's what John did. After John sinned against Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and abandoned Jesus, he came back to Jesus on the cross. And it was hard to be there, but he was there with Jesus as he suffered. He showed up. He didn't say, Jesus, I'm going to ignore you and avoid you because I sinned against you. Now he went to go be with Jesus. And so we don't come to Mass to receive the Eucharist. Like that, that's like a lie uh, that a lot of people think that Mass is, the whole point of Mass is to receive communion. No, the point of Mass is to worship God. Receive a communion is a bonus. It's an extra gift. But we are only called to receive communion like, by the church one, like at least once a year. Now, it's, it's good to receive communion every day if you're in a state of grace, but we don't have to receive communion for Mass to be Mass. We go to Mass simply to worship God, whether we receive communion or not. Mass is about worship of God. And so we should not give God the cold shoulder because we are not in a state of, of grace. We come to the Lord, and by coming to the Lord— He begins to purify us and transform us and heal us and redeem us and restore us. I've seen this happen so many times. Whenever I was at LSU uh, 10 years ago almost, my first year as a priest, we had a a student uh, and, and she had left the church when she was in high school after confirmation, came to LSU to study, gets to LSU and doesn't go to mass her freshman year, sophomore year, or junior year. Well, after her junior year, that summer, she went to do an internship, and when she came back... Uh, While she was at her internship, that's whenever I began ministry at LSU with our team of disciples. And so me and the team of disciples I was working with, we began to do small group Bible studies on campus. And a bunch of her roommates and friends started coming, and we discipled them. And by the time she got back in the fall for her last year of college, all of her best friends were now disciples. They were coming to Mass, going to confession, uh, participating in praise and worship. They were facilitating small group Bible studies on campus, coming to retreats. Doing mission trips, they were all on board, and she came back and she said, "What are y'all doing? Like, who are y'all? <laughs> like, we never did churchy things, and now you're doing churchy things. What's going on?" And they're like, yeah, we encountered Jesus, and we like we love him. And so she came to me. She said, like, "Look, Father Josh, I'm formerly Catholic. I am," and she told me everything. Like, she was like, uh, <laughs> it was it was a lot. It was a lot. And she gave me all her, her list of things and reasons why she thought the church was backwards, and she didn't believe that Jesus Christ was was god and whatnot but she said these are my best friends and so if they're here i'm gonna be here with them but i don't want to be here so i don't want you to think i don't want you to think by seeing me that i'm like trying to do all this stuff i just i don't want to be alone my, my senior year i don't feel like finding a group of new friends i said cool i'm happy you're here just keep coming and so i kept inviting her to bible study she's like i, you know, I don't believe in the bible cool just keep coming to bible study you want to come to adoration yeah I, I i'm gonna come i don't like one it's, it's a quiet place. And they're doing praise and worship. It's like nice and peaceful, but like I don't want to be here. But I'll come. Okay, cool. I am so happy you're here, and so is God. Come to mass. Like again, don't receive communion. You don't believe it's Jesus, and you need to go to confession. But like, do come to mass. Just come to mass to sit with your friends for our night mass, Sunday night mass, and then y'all go out to eat after. Keep coming to mass. Start coming to mass. Bible studies, adoration, praise and worship. She was welcomed by the by the community, and eventually she came to see me. She like, "Father Josh, after coming here for you know a few months, I, I um." It's kind of cool, and I feel like I feel very welcome. You know, Jesus, I guess Jesus, Jesus ain't that bad. He's kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. I love you being here, and so does he, so just keep coming. I'm not asking you to change. I just want you to keep coming to adoration, because I knew what was happening. I knew by, like, just, just going with the process that Jesus was doing something in her heart. There's no way you could spend time with God and God not transform us. And so after a number of months after that, she comes back to me. Hey, Father Josh, Um, yeah, you know, I uh, I not only love Jesus now, but I, I think I'm starting to understand the church, you know, right? right. Praise God. And I was able to connect her with a spiritual director, get her with a priest for a confession. She comes back to church. A few months after that, hey, Father Josh, uh, I think God's called me to be a nun. <laughs> All this happened because she was welcomed to be in a relationship with Jesus as she was. We told her, you belong here. You belong here. And because she felt like she belonged, she began to believe the gospel, believe Jesus, believe the church, his bride. And after she believed, she behaved like a disciple. And she repented. And she began to follow the Lord and imitate the Lord and grow in holiness. See, too often in the the church, we, we say, in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus, you have to believe these things. And if you don't believe these things, you don't belong. Or you have to behave this way. If you don't behave this way, you don't belong. And that we stop people from ever entering the church. I cannot tell you how many people I've walked with who literally were living in mortal sin, who struggled with the teachings of the church, who were anti-Catholic, who were anti-Christ, who were involved in things that are really bad. But when we met them at the church our campus ministry or the different assignments, we just said, we love you being here. Keep coming back. I keep coming back. And when people keep coming back, then eventually they change. I remember another time I had had another person who was coming to church like scantily clad. This person came to church off the streets, scantily clad to to church. And we saw her we like, hey, we love you being here. You want to join a Bible study? Great. She joins a Bible study. She gets plugged in, rooted in the Word of God. And from being invited to the the community, from being invited to, to the Word of God, from being invited to adoration and blessed sacrament, Jesus sacred scripture studies, Jesus' voice, right? To participate um, in all the things we're doing in the parish, said person, again, like the student at at LSU, huge conversion. And guess what? Also discerns religious life. This happens so many times in so many different assignments with so many different people, because that's what God calls us to like, to help people. Like He meets people where they're at, and then he draws them to the heights of holiness, but if we expect people to be at the heights of holiness when they first come at the church, we're going to push them away. We will push them away. And so, yes, the Eucharist is personal. And we are called to just come and be in a relationship with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. But that does not mean that we need to be receiving the Eucharist until we are in a state of grace. Once we get in a state of grace, then we can have that kind of relationship with the Lord. But just because we're not in a state of grace and we're not ready to receive communion doesn't mean he's not asking us to come in adoration and read scripture doesn't mean he's not asking us to come to mass and worship him without receiving communion. He wants us to come to the tabernacle. He wants us to, to be close to him. He wants us to look at him, to, to sit with him face to face, to be with him. And from being with him over time, he would draw us to an even deeper relationship. Uh, and I've seen, I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen it so many times. Yeah, that's what I got to say about that. So we are messy. The church is a hospital for sinners. But remember, in the hospitals, there are doctors Jesus Christ is the divine physician, and so you come to this uh, hospital so the divine physician can, can heal us over time, over time. There's always layers, there's always more, there's always more. So with that, we're gonna take a break, and we we come back, I'm gonna talk about a saint uh, who went without communion, but continued to go to mass, even though he didn't receive communion.
0: Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Janczyk. And we're the hosts of Catholic Classics.
5: Join us for season two of the podcast,
0: where we will read and explain The Confessions by St. Augustine. So The Confessions, it's a classic, we all know that, but why read it? In this book, St. Augustine testifies to God's power, God's ability to draw him from a life of sin and error into a life of holiness and of genuine service of God's people. And not only are the confessions a testimony to St. Augustine's life, but also a testimony to the way by which God works in each of our lives, bringing us from our sin to a life of holiness, drawing us ever more and more into God's very own life. To follow along, you can find the reading plan at ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics.
5: And we are back. Welcome back to the show. Uh, don't forget, you can rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. You can also share us on your social media pages. If the show is good for you, it might be good for other people as well. Our saint for the day is the saint I've talked about it in the past, but I wanted to share this side of his story with you that maybe you did not know before. Of course, Saint Marky Tai Ching. He's that, that great saint in China who was a doctor and a husband and a father. And when he had a stomach illness, he took um, opioids because that was the medicine at the time. They didn't know the negative effects that that drug would have on people. He became addicted to that drug and he couldn't stop using it. And so he lost his job, he lost his family. Uh, But he did not lose his faith. And so he kept going to Mass, kept going to confession. He was confessing every day, almost, because every day he used. Every day he would go to confession, and then the addiction would take over, and he would use. Unfortunately, the priest at that time did not understand addiction. So his priest told him, you're not really sorry because you keep doing the same thing, so you can't receive communion anymore. So he kept going to confession, but he did not receive communion. Um, And so he would go to Mass, and he would pray his rosary, and he would adore the Lord, and he would worship God, but he didn't receive. Even though he could not receive, he didn't say, well— I'm done with God now because God didn't tell him you can't come worship me anymore. God didn't tell him you can't be in relationship with me anymore. So he remained in relationship with God while he was addicted, while he was falling to his, his vice, his bad habit, drugs. And because God never gave up on him, because God allowed him to keep coming to him to be with him to worship him in that church. Whenever um, his people were persecuted, he died a martyr. And he refused to deny God because God did not stop him and prevent him from still worshiping him. Um, even without receiving communion. And so um, I I encourage us to get to know that story because again, I've known so many people who've said, Father Josh, I don't go to church because I can't receive. We don't go to church to receive. We go to church to worship. Receiving is an extra gift. Receiving communion is a great, great gift. It's the greatest, it's a great gift, huge gift. I love it, right? But don't allow that to stop you from worshiping God because mass is not about you and it's not about me. It's about him and showing up to be with him in this representation of Calvary, right? Where Peter did not go and where James and Thomas did not go where Matthew did not go, we can say, "With well, Jesus, I'll go. When Mary and John were there, it wasn't fun. It wasn't exciting. It was painful. And it might be painful to go to mass if we're not receiving communion, but it was painful for them and they still went. And so we can go too because it's about God. So let's just be reminded that that great gift that it's always going to be about God. So St. Mark yutai we invite you to pray for us that we may always remember that it's not about us. It's all about him. Until next time, I'll see you in the Eucharist and I'll just be with you when you hear me on the podcast next week. (laughs) Deuces.
0: That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's lunchtime podcast sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org, along with links to more of the programs we've shared. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, may God bless.
2: You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.
0: Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at CatholicRadioIndeed.org.